Lent is, of course, a, a time that is set aside in the life of the church for introspection uh, and for uh, self-examination. And this morning, here on the threshold of Lent 2012, I want to talk about the human disposition, disposition the human weakness uh, before a temptation. I want to talk about uh, Jesus uh, and how different we are than Jesus vis-a-vis temptations. And then finally, the final point I want to make is how the evangelical, orthodox, biblical-focused church is, is often cruel. Not meaningly, but, but nevertheless hurtful to many of us who struggle in our Christian walk, who struggle with temptation. But let first, so let, let me start by talking about about Jesus, and that's when I want you to refer to the to the handout there, and we'll read this uh, in just a moment. Now, this this of course is the uh, according to Matthew, uh, this is the first thing that happened in Jesus' public ministry right after his baptism. Uh, he he was led into the desert. He is tempted uh, by the devil. In these fierce uh, temptations. And Jesus remained unswervingly uh, obedient in a way that other people, uh, including the first Adam, right on down, and, uh, and you, uh, and me, and everyone with a heartbeat, uh, uh, have, have, have not. So why don't we just read this? If you got someone got the, got the handheld mic, David, you're a good one. Why don't you just read it through for us one time, uh, and then we'll go back through it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear up you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world the glory of them. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So the first thing we observe here in this showdown between Jesus and Satan, uh, we find right here in verse 2 of our reading. It is written in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, the devil tempted Jesus after he had fasted for 40 days. And for any of you who have ever fasted, you know that uh, that's, that's quite an undertaking. It can be done. I've, I've actually known some people who have fasted that long. I have personally fasted one time from Monday, Thursday, right until after communion on Easter morning. I don't recommend you try it without a doctor's... Uh, without a doctor's help there and, and, and supervision, but, 
Uh, it, it's quite a spiritual undertaking. But here is Jesus. He fasted for 40 days. And it says, and he was hungry, which is an understatement. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, it, it, this means that he was vulnerable. Uh, and the Son of Man tempted him with turning, turning a stone uh, into bread. But this is so uh, true to life. The devil tempts us when we are, are in a weakened state. The devil tempts us uh, when we are most vulnerable. Uh, I was hungry. Uh, I, was, I was lonely. Uh, I was afraid. I was desperate. Uh, my children, my family, I needed the money. That's, that's exactly what we see going on here. Jesus is most vulnerable, and that's when the devil likes to make his, his move. Uh, right there where you're most vulnerable, or wherever, wherever you have that weakness in your character flaw, that, that uh, recidivism that, that keeps sacking its way back into your, uh, into your life, that Achilles heel, that tragic flaw, that's exactly where the devil goes with his temptation. But I suspect that you would agree that we're most acceptable, even open, uh, to temptation when we are vulnerable, when we are feeling down, when we are worried, when we are oppressed, uh, when we are stressed out, whatever. When, when you're really vulnerable, a bad idea can sound like a good idea. And so it really comes as no surprise here that this tempt that comes to devil uh, comes to Jesus in a weak, when Jesus is in a weakened state after, after he's fasted for 40 days. If you're the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. I know you're hungry. And then Jesus responds by quoting him Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. And he refused the devil. Because the devil wasn't done. Then he came back to him by offering him all the authority uh, and the glory of the kingdoms of the world. If only he would, he would bow down and worship him. Bow down the knee to him and worship him. Now this is a, a temptation from the very beginning uh, that Jesus could have uh, all, the, all the glory without going through the cross. If only would G, Jesus would bow down to him. Uh, and, and again, he refused him, but this time by quoting the first commandment, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God and him only. Third time, the devil comes to him and tempts him. If you, the Son of God, throw yourself down from this great height and prove how God will save you from harm. And again, the first one was, was for glory. This one is for power. Uh, with, have all the power in the world without going through the agony of the cross is, is basically what is being offered to Jesus. And for the third time, Jesus repels, repels the devil, quoting Scripture as it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God uh, and and banishing the seductive voice of Satan. But notice in all three times that Jesus uh, answered the tempter by quoting from Scripture. And you know, uh, a mighty fortress is our God, that, that one little phrase in that great, great hymn. It was Martin Luther was reflecting on the temptations of Christ when he wrote in that great hymn. And one little word will fail him. One little word shall fail him. That's exactly what Luther is talking about here uh, in the temptation of Christ. So this was a great victory. This is a great victory uh, by the second Adam. This is a victory, uh, the, the Son of Man. Uh, but uh, as powerful as this is, uh, there's, there's a problem here for, for you and for me. And that is that simply that you and I are not Jesus Christ. 
there's a great contrast. And if you didn't know know it by if you didn't know it from experience, uh, the Bible is very clear uh, that you and I, when we are faced with the right temptation at the wrong time, we're going to flunk. And that's just a universal, it's a universal condition, universal situation. In 1 Corinthians 10:12, St. Paul wrote, "If anyone who thinks he, that he stands, take heed, lest he fall." Now I'm going to take you back a little bit. A lot, of, a lot of younger people here would have no clue about this one, but I'm going to take you back to 1960 uh, to uh, some country music. Uh, anybody remember Hank Lachlan? Yeah. Well, Hank Lachlan uh, had had that great hit. Please help me, I'm falling. You, you remember it? You want me to sing it to you? No. Huh? All in, all, want me to sing it? Raise your hand. All opposed. The eyes have it. <laughs> no, I don't. I'll just say, please help me. I'm falling in love with you. Close the door to temptation. This cannot be true. My heart belongs to another whose love has grown cold. Please help me. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, that takes more nerve. You have no idea how much nerve that takes. But the thing about it is a great hit. But the, but the really interesting thing about it, and that, made, that was a big hit, but then about six months later, another artist named Skeeter Davis uh, responded to that with her own hit, and it made the top 40. He said, I can't help you. I'm falling too. Isn't that great? And, and, and there it is, kind of in a nutshell. That just speaks. Uh, the, the, we're all in the same boat. I can't help you. I'm falling too. And that's my answer. Uh, and that's Skeeter Dave, was Skeeter Davis's answer. Human falling and failing before temptation is, is universal. Who's supposed to be the wisest man in the Bible? By, by, there's a lot of wise men in the Bible. Solomon. Now, you know, he, he was, uh, and God, he had such a humble prayer that God granted him wisdom. Uh, but the devil entangled Solomon as the wisest man in the Bible. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And, and, and Solomon had it. But he's brought down. Remember why he was brought down? Women, his wife. Well, his wife. His wife. His wife uh, nagged him. That was his vulnerable. He was vulnerable right there. My wife was nagging me to death because she wanted to bring it called syncretism. She wanted to bring in. They had a multi-faith ideology. She wanted to bring in all the various religions and come together and let's have mutual edification and maybe we can learn from them and they can learn from us. We all worship the same God. So you know what I mean. And it brought him flat down because our God is a jealous God. Who's supposed to be the strongest man in the Bible? Brought him down. What brought him down? A woman. Who's the, who's the greatest king of all of Israel? What happened to David? Huh? What brought him down? The most beautiful woman in all of Israel. And uh, so, but it's, you know what? It's not always women. Ninety-five <laughs> percent, yeah. But it's not all. It's not always. It's money. It's money. It's power. It's glory. It's fame. It's social acceptance. All of the above. It will bring you down. But the question right now is: Do you see yourself? 
I mean, are, and truthfully, are you quick to say that, you know, I've been brought up by my parents and my grandparents to know good from evil, and I really think I can call upon call on my resources and exist. Uh, or are you ready to admit that you would take a bite off that forbidden fruit in a skinny minute if you were vulnerable and if it were tempted, if you were tempted it in the right situation at the wrong time? It's a serious question. Because the truth is, at least according to the Bible, and I, perhaps you'll know from experience, is there's not a person here who can just, is Nike ad, remember, just say no, Nike's ad, just say no. There's not, there's not a person here can just say no uh, when the... Just do it. Who is, who is just... just, uh, just uh, okay, just say no is anti-drug. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can't do either one of those. (laughs) Because there's a temptation that the devil has tailor-made just for you. The children's Sunday school song is absolutely right when it says, We are weak, but he is strong. That's probably one of the first songs you ever... Those little precious little children were up here a second ago. Probably one of the first songs that they ever learned. And it's a good one because it's truth. And it's far... It's much, much better to know that in advance than it is uh, than to have some kind of false sense of security. Sometimes I'm doing some premarital counseling things. I talk to people, and, and I get real nervous when I hear uh, someone say, well, I, you know, I, I've been brought up to know right and wrong, and that, that would never happen to me. And I, I'm quick to say, well, you know, be, be, take heed. Take heed lest you think you stand lest you will fall. And quote that. Quote that. Scripture from Corinthians. Now, every, everything that I've said so far, uh, I want to now kind of change directions. Uh, and if there's any observations or objections, but my point has been, you know, Jesus did this remarkable thing in the desert, and there's this great contrast between, between what Jesus can do and what you and I can do. And what I want to do now is, is to talk about this, this certain, very well-meaning ministry within the, 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 the Bible-focused church, Orthodox church that is uh, unintentionally cruel to those, to those of us who are struggling. And it, it, it means to magnify grace, but it does just the opposite. Now, this ministry is not on the surface bad. It's not judgmental. Uh, it's not damning. Uh, it's not heretical. Uh, very rightly, it speaks of the cross. It speaks of new birth. Uh, and its intention is to aim people in the right direction so that they can acquire a more uh, uh, sober uh, and, and godly and righteous life, as, as our prayer book says. A scripture is of, often quoted, very often quoted, and as I say, there's nothing heretical about it. So where does it go wrong? It goes wrong because there's a misapplication of biblical truths. Speak, uh, uh, scripture very accurately uh, speaks of new birth, it speaks of a new creation and a new life. But if these things are misapplied, then they can have, a, it can have a, an ill effect. And, and in fact, sometimes it can have a disastrous effect. Now, this kind of ministry that I'm talking about, it often starts off by stressing what a difference Jesus Christ can make in your life. It talks about come to Jesus and you will have a forgiveness of sins and you will 
have forgiveness through the cross as it should. It talks about having peace with God so that you can have peace in your conscience. It talks about uh, that you can now have, by coming to Jesus, you can have fellowship with your Father in heaven. All of this is good. But then they go on to say, the stress is that uh, through the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we will be able uh, to overcome all of these sins that previously uh, mastered us. Uh, anyone here drank too much? <laughs> Two people. <laughs> All right, here's the way this ministry goes. Come to Jesus t- tonight, surrender, and He's going to take that taste away from you. And, and you will not be... Uh, just, just do what I tell you. Come to Jesus. Uh, and He'll take the taste of liquor out of your mouth. Anyone here have X-rated thoughts? My wife? No. <laughs> Come to Jesus. And you won't have them anymore. Uh, anyway, anyone uh, have a bad temper? Come to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. And let Him take this away from you. Anyone, whatever, fill in the blank. Come to Jesus. Now, my point is that in general, there is some truth to this. Many people, don't get me wrong, many people have indeed been, by God's grace and God's grace alone, have been enabled by God to overcome many of the things uh, that once held them in bondage. And it's, it's right to stress this. But it's also possible to stretch it so much that you play down the weaker and the rougher and the darker side of the Christian life. This, this, it, to, to play down this endless battle that you're going to have with Satan who attacks you where you're most vulnerable. Uh, and to give you the impression that the normal Christian is to be free from this battle, this constant battle, and freed from falling into temptation. Now, Indeed, if someone has reminded me quite often, it's also possible to, to on the flip side of that, to, to so emphasize the darker side of, Christi- of, of, of the human condition as to downplay the hope of, of, of having any freedom whatsoever uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and to give, uh, to give the impression that, it's, uh, hey, that there is no hope, so just deal with it. But I think that the former era uh, is greater uh, that is the era of kind of uh, glamour, uh, glamorizing the Christian faith. If, 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 because if all, if, I do, if all I do is preach uh, a gloom and failure, and if it doesn't work out, then, then what? You'll be say, well, gosh, I thought it was going to all be, even after I gave my life to Jesus, it was all going to be, I, I wouldn't be making any progress. But I have made progress. And you see, so you can overcome that. But if I convince you, on the other hand, that if you just surrender your life to Jesus, then, then you're going to no longer have all these battles uh, then ultimately, when you find out that it doesn't work that way, and I've convinced you that now you've surrendered your life to Jesus, uh, that, that, you should, that you'll be given uh, uh, a freedom from all of these battles, then sooner or later that you, you're, going to, you're going to experience uh, a bitter disillusionment and say to yourself, well, I guess I just wasn't a Christian. Now, I, I uh, listened to this introspective dialogue, and this, this is uh, uh, from a book that was written by a good friend of mine as he reflected on his life. Uh, at one time in his life, he says, I've rededicated myself to Christ more times than I can count, but it, seems to say, but it seems to stay the same or even get worse no matter what I do. 
Whatever the outer limits of Christ's grace are, I have certainly crossed them. I guess I never was a Christian in the first place, because if I had been, I would have made some progress, it seems, in the Christian life. Maybe I was never part of the elect. If I wasn't, there's nothing I can do about it now. Anyway, I'm apparently beyond hope. Uh, are you with me on this? I mean, the well-meaning pastor uh, wants to bring people to the faith, so, so, so what they do is to kind of, uh, as I say, glamorize the Christian faith and make a lot of promises about what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. And not every Christian will believe these promises uh, because they know too well what the Bible teaches about the human condition. Uh, but I can tell you from experience that a lot of people do believe it. Uh, and it is a cruel thing when these long-standing problems of temper, irritability, lust, you name it, are still there, and, they can, and then they, what they do is they become disillusioned in their faith. Because if, if, if a person, a man or a woman, has been told that the normal Christian life is, is a life living in, in, living in Christ-like righteousness, can, can only, if, if they conclude that that's the normal Christian experience, is, is Christ-like righteousness in, in the way they, what they think and do and say, then they can only conclude as they experience lapses of, of imperfection that they are not the normal Christian. And then if, if such a person experiences that and they go to the pastor and say, well, what can I do? I mean, I thought I, thought I was a Christian, but, I mean, please help me, I'm falling. The, the only reply I can be in that case, if that's what I preach, is to say, well, let's just recommit, recommit again. Uh, and here are some spiritual disciplines for you. And what I would like to see you do is to memorize uh, X amount of scriptures so that when the devil tempts you, then you can do like Jesus did in the desert and quote these scriptures and the devil will just go away. But this is a misunderstanding uh, of grace. That's what it is. Because, I mean, what is grace but the means of God's love being flowed out onto people who don't deserve it? Uh, the, people, uh, the whole purpose of grace is to restore our relationship with God uh, which he has done through the cross. And I, I've told you this story again, but, I, but, I, but I'll, I'll tell it to, to you uh, one more time. And bear with me if you've heard it uh, more than once. But it's something that made a profound effect on me personally. And that was uh, with a man, you remember a couple of summers ago, he came to me and, and told me at the end of the service that, that he was hooked on porno. Uh, and, and I had someone waiting on me at lunch. You know the story, right? Yeah. Well, I had someone waiting on lunch, so I didn't have time to spend any time with him, and it, it ended up being a great blessing because had I had, I had more, someone was waiting for me to go to lunch, and had I had more time, I'd have been giving my wisdom and giving these memorizations and say, here's what you got to do, you know. All right, when you start having these thoughts, uh, this is what you got to do. This is what you got But, I, you know, I said, well, i got to go. Uh, I said, uh, this is serious, and I said, uh, let, let me give you a number here, uh, and uh, I gave him the number of... of uh, of Gil, Gil Cracky here, and I said, I said, but you know, I got to go, but let me just leave you with one piece of scripture. Okay, he takes out his pad. I said, Romans 8 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said, okay, what else? I said, that's all. Just put it in your heart. Put it in your heart and say your prayers, and just, but just stay right there. Just stay there. Now I got to go, I got to lunch. And the guy looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he, he, he said, you know, thank you. He said, that's it? I said, that's it. He said, you mean that's really it? I said, hey, that's the gospel, brother. That's it. Take it home. And he said he just felt, he used the word aerated. If you're in the golf, you know, where you get, get oxygen down to the greens so that the grass can get oxygen. 
Uh, that's what he said. I just feel aerated. Anyway, I, I suppose I could have given him all kinds of advice and given him all kinds of sermons and things, but I don't think anything had the power uh, that, 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 that that does. And so I think this other ministry is well-intended, but also going to be cruel. And I tell that guy, I said, well, you... You know, let's just recommit to Jesus. You've got to give your life to Jesus. He said, I already have given my life to Jesus. I've still got these, these thoughts. We're not strong like Jesus. And we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, we pray that because we are fragile. We pray it because we are like walking on ice. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a humble prayer. Because you notice it's not... Uh, Go ahead, lead me into temptation and show, show you how strong I am. It's not that. It's please deliver us from temptation. Uh, please deliver us uh, from, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know that the two are inextricably hooked together, the temptation uh, and the evil. Now you might ask, well then, why would God lead us into temptation in the first place? Well, I will, I will go so far to say that God does not always protect his children from trials and temptations so that we can grow. So that, we can, so that we can be wise. Uh, he's he's going to let us fall uh, so that we will realize that he's weak, but, he, but we are weak, but he is strong. And the more that you know that you are weak, uh, the more that you rely on his grace and his grace alone. Uh, we don't dare trust ourselves, but we trust him who is trustworthy. Uh, so is it right, therefore, is it right to get on your knees and say, God, give me strength? Of course it's right. Uh, I pray it every morning. One of my prayers is prayers that we read already uh, this morning in chapel. O oh God, the King Eternal, divide us the day from the night, turn the shout of death in the morning, drive far, drive far from us all wrong desires, incline our hearts to keep thy law, and guide our feet in the way of peace, that having done thy will with cheerfulness while it was day, we may when the night cometh rejoice to give thee thanks to Jesus Christ our Lord. And I pray it every morning, and then you go out and blow it. <laughs> At least I speak for myself. So yes, it's, it's good to pray for it. And that's why, I, you know, so why does God lead us into temptations anyway and make us faith? Well, I want to refer to the poem. Now, John Newton, you know John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote Glorious Things of Thee Have Spoken. But perhaps his greatest hymn of all is right here. And the music is so complex, I wouldn't even try to sing it in church. But let's just read this together and see if you can get the gist of what I'm talking about here. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. T'was He who taught me thus to pray, and He, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour, at once He had answered my request. And by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seen, invent to aggravate my woe, crossed all my fair designs I scheme, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ, from self and pride to set thee free, and break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou may find in 
of me. Isn't that in a nutshell there? Uh, you know, that's, uh, I think, to John Newton, uh, I answer prayer for grace and truth. These inward trials I employ to set, uh, inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. So maybe that's the reason God leads us into temptation. I don't know. In the meanwhile, we, we just pray for relief. So I, I, we got a few minutes here. I'll stop and try to entertain any objections that you may have uh, or thoughts. Yeah, we'll, we'll never know what that thorn was, but uh, and, every, and and most people won't interpret that some physical ailment. But I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I'm thinking it's more of a spiritual ailment, this thorn that was bugging him. I think that's a good observation. I guess I'm reminded of uh, Jesus saying to Peter that Satan seeks to sift your soul, which he's speaking really to all of us. But I will be praying for you. Idea that Jesus would actually be praying for me again is uh, encouragement. To mm-hmm. I've been struck with Jesus, the emphasis Jesus put on temptation. It's in the Lord's Prayer, it's what He told His disciples in Gethsemane. It's pray that you will not be tempted. And one thing I've learned from that is when I'm saying my morning prayers is to think through where I might be tempted and pray more specifically instead of just kind of a global, you know, deliver, lead me not into temptation, be more specific of where I might be tempted during that day. And that's been helpful. Oh, thanks, Jay. Frank, you mentioned when you were speaking about someone that came to you that thought their prayers weren't answered because maybe they weren't elect. And I've heard that expressed by several people. Can you elaborate? To me, if somebody is worried about being elect, they probably don't have to worry about it. But could you elaborate on that? That was Luther's great thing. He said if you weren't about, if you worried about not being a, a, a member of the elect, then you don't have a thing to worry about. That was, that was Martin Luther's great thing, and I've never forgotten that. And I often use it. Uh, myself, uh, if, if you know, if, I, I think it's. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> Could there ever be a case where they aren't elect if they just feel they're totally shut off? I mean, or or no? I don't. I, I think if they're worried about it, they're they're in good shape. <laughs> I mean, there's people that aren't worried about it that I think need to worry about it, and they don't worry about it. <laughs> there was that joke in New York cartoon that says the things that uh, should bother me don't. Should I be worried? And there's some theological, there's some theological uh, truth to that. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I thought maybe uh, someone's going to say that, you know, 
temptation is not an issue in their lives. <laughs> so, because I, there are some righteous people out there. I know you. <laughs> I mean, le- legitimately righteous. There, there are some godly people here. Uh, but Luther... Uh, I thought you never met a godly Yeah, what 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 did she say? She asked you if you if she if you thought she was a godly woman, you said yeah. you never met her. She said, Yeah, she said to me, remember? <laughs> she said, she says to me, Do you think I'm a godly woman? Went long ago. I said, Jane, I've never met a godly person. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> we know better than to bring it up in here, Frank. <laughs> We've heard your response. Yeah. Okay, well I tell you what, next oh we got another question. Oh, we got to be, it's for the tape. Well, going back to the situation you mentioned, or any other person who comes to you and asks them for, you know, the for help, that sort of thing. Right. But it seems to me, or is it possible that when they realize that the, the grace is that um, undeserved love, that that does become being freeing so that perhaps some of those weaknesses are, are um, addressed? Well, he told me. I, I told him to be careful because he's actually come back and he said he's felt, he's, he's, he, if he feels that grip releasing. And, and he, he's scared that it'll grip him again. I said, what, 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 what are you afraid of? The victory's done. I mean, you don't need to fear. Fear not. I'm with you. Fear not. We're more than conquerors. And so, that, that yeah, once it... That freed him up. That freed him up. And he's freed up to, to grow without fear of lapsing because when he does lap, he can fall back on Romans 8.1. And he will, he will do that. In fact, but he, he, he actually came to me and said, I feel a freedom now. He said, it's not bugging as much. And he said, I'm so afraid it'll come back. And I said, well, you don't need to worry about it. Because, you can, because Romans 8.1 is not going to change. That, that, that's same yesterday and today for and forever. So you've got it. Hold on to it. Next time you have these thoughts, you head to the communion rail. Say, you know what? The blood of Jesus is greater than that. And I'm going to take communion. Come on with me. Bring it on. And, there's, you know, there's... there's that's the only hope I have. And I think it's the only hope any of us have right there. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a culture's thing right there. You got to learn to forgive yourself, and there's no truth to it. There's no validity to it. <laughs> Only God can forgive sins, so it's pretty arrogant to say, "Well, I forgave myself." <laughs> but you know, if God has forgiven you, then uh, live into that. Live into that. That what great joy God has forgiven you, and, and even you, your, your own condemnation is not greater than God's forgiveness. So, I mean, and you can certainly be freed up from conscious, from, from, from a wounded conscious by, 
knowing that God, if you're okay in God's eye, His standards are bigger than mine. His standards are bigger than yours. And if He's forgiven me, then, then what? Now, if I say, well, now, I'm, you know, I still can't forgive myself. Well, you got higher standards than God then. You know, so continuous little circle situation there. Thank you, Jim. Okay, next Sunday, I think we've got a treat. Mike Hill, for those of you uh, from England, uh, will be with him. Am I right? I think it's Mike Hill next Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, so, and he will be here in the Dean's class. I know Mike's uh, uh, right so very much loved here, and look forward to having him uh, next Sunday and throughout that season of Lent. Let's go forth in the world, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thank you, God.